Come be a part of Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics with your host, Dr. Ed Holliday. Hear the voices of liberty speaking all across America. Doc Holliday provides thought-provoking interviews and commentary about the issues and actions that are afflicting this country and what we need to do to get America back on track. Get fired up. Get inspired. Get on board with Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics right now. And here we go. Once again, that's the sound of rock cracking right here in Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics. You're listening to us from webtalkradio.net. That's webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Holliday. And this week, like every week it seems, political rocks are cracking. Uh, I just have to mention uh, two of the squad. Uh, They were denied entry into uh, the state of Israel uh, on a congressional delegation that was uh, Representative Omar, uh, Representative Tlaib, um, uh, Minnesota, and, and so what? What does that mean? Well, the the state of Israel said no, you can't come in. And then on humanitarian reasons, uh, Congresswoman uh, Tlaib was given a chance. Said yes, you can come in to see your grandmother, and then she refused to come in. So is it publicity stunt on their part? Uh, I don't know. But I do know this, uh, some of the rocks that are splitting right now in the news, uh, are, and the splitting goes around the world. So much centers around what's going on in Israel. But on the opposite side of the world, Hong Kong. And we're not hearing a lot about it in the American press. It's a big story. It's a big deal. And we're going to unwrap some of that today to help you better understand it because the press, the media, is not really covering this with an in-depth uh, attitude of what it what's at stake. And I'm telling you, uh, just like Israel, on one side of the world, so much centers around what's going on in Israel. There is a lot that centers around this one place, big city, called Hong Kong. And there's some reasons of, uh, why that's happening. So we're going to get into that on today's show. But first, let me just remind you, uh, I told you I, I was going to go to New Zealand because uh, we heard in a Democratic uh, one of the debates, Marianne Williamson uh, was talking about the first thing she would do is give the New Zealand's new prime minister a call and tell her that uh, America's the best place for a young child to grow up because it seems like... Uh, the new prime minister for New Zealand said that New Zealand would be the best place in the world for a child to grow up. So what does that mean? Well, I went there last week, and I will tell you, uh, next week's show, we'll deal with that, what I learned about what people uh, think about President Trump from different parts of the country, different perspectives. But I will tell you this, what Mary Ann Williamson, one thing she might not have known, I didn't know before I went there, I have to tell you, the kids in New Zealand have some outstanding playgrounds. Now, evidently, the lawyers are not covering New Zealand because they got some epic playgrounds that probably would never be built in the United States because of the, I guess, the danger. They got some long slides. 
and fun long slides. They have uh, some little zip lines and just little neighborhood uh, parks. They got like a tree house that's built eight, ten feet off the ground. And, uh, and you know, a ladder, but, I mean, nothing to keep them from falling out. But that's, um, and that's that's just, I'm saying the kids have got some awesome playgrounds because they evidently don't have the insurance uh, problem playgrounds have here in the United States. But that, uh, I will tell you that, kids have got some awesome playgrounds all over New Zealand that are just different from American playgrounds. I'm not saying better, I'm just saying different and some, and some, Big slides and zip lines and things that you just won't see on American playgrounds because of the insurance and the uh, the uh, uh, lawyering up of uh, American uh, cities to have to have uh, insurance for playgrounds. So I just I'm just teasing you a little bit about what I found out on my tour to New Zealand because I wanted to find out what Marianne Williams was Williamson was talking about why she would call the New Zealand Prime Minister. I also found out a lot of people in New Zealand don't know much about their new Prime Minister themselves. And so uh, we'll go talk about some of that on next week's show, just telling you about that. Now, let's talk about Hong Kong. There are growing fears the Chinese government may use the military to crack down on protesters in Hong Kong. Flights have resumed at the city's airport after violence and chaos erupted yesterday. Protesters and police clashed. There were injuries. There were arrests. Beijing has described the pro-democracy protests as, quote, conduct close to terrorism. For more on this, let's bring in CBSN contributor and senior fellow at the Asia Society, Isaac Stone Fish. Good to see you. Good to see you. Remind our viewers, Isaac, uh, why these protests started. We, you and I were covering uh, this yesterday when we were watching the video come into CBSN. And I listed a series of demands that the protesters had. And you sort of indicated that, yes, we started with what is probably the most uh, poss- likely scenario and uh, giving in from Beijing to not going to happen at all. Right. So these started several months ago when people in Hong Kong were upset about a bill that would allow Hong Kong to extradite suspects to mainland China. And there is a lot of pride in Hong Kong about its relatively independent judicial system, and a lot of worry about Beijing's not-so-independent judicial system. And things snowballed from there. And really, since the handover in 1997, Beijing and Hong Kong have been in this uneasy dance about how free Hong Kong could be. And where we are today is just a reflection of these things not being settled. I think when we see um, this stuff that we're watching right here, we can't help but to think about Tiananmen Square and the massacre mm-hmm. there. And it has sort of occurred to me that, um, and maybe the protests will continue to evolve, but it started out with sort of hundreds of thousands of people taking to the streets peacefully. And what we're seeing here are, it's a smaller group of people, but very intense. The violence is being ratcheted up. I presume the Chinese government is painfully aware of the lasting impact and impression that the Tiananmen Square massacre had. They don't want another one, right? Or maybe they want to tamp down on the protests more. I think we can very hopefully say that the Chinese Communist Party does not want another massacre and they don't want to be the international pariahs that they were in the early 90s following the massacre. There's some very big differences between the situations. Beijing was far more isolated, even in 89, before the protests. It was far poorer. Uh, its flat 
around Tiananmen Square. It's just this massive area. Mm. Hong Kong is incredibly hilly. And if, unfortunately, Beijing does see the need to send in troops, either from the PLA garrison in Hong Kong or paramilitary police from around the region, it's probably going to be a lot more of an urban warfare type situation, mm. uh, which is something that I wish we could say that no one wants, but we, we don't really have good insight into what the top leadership thinks about this particular issue. Right. Well, here's what the top leadership in this country thinks. The president tweeted, our intelligence has informed us that the Chinese government is moving troops to the border with Hong Kong. Everyone should be calm and safe. Reminds me of that Animal House uh, scene. Remain calm, all is well. <laughs> but if you're in Hong Kong and you're protesting uh, for something that you believe in, the United States historically has supported pro-democracy protests around the world. We, all, we don't have a great track record in all instances, but presidents throughout the course of modern American history have tried to be on the right side of that history, whether it's President Kennedy presenting himself uh, at the Berlin Wall and saying, each be nine Berliner, whether it's Ronald Reagan uh, saying, right with uh, Premier Gorbachev sitting at his side, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, Jimmy Carter boycotting the Olympics. Presidents historically have taken a stand when they see pro-democracy movements happening like this. There have been some failures. President Obama, specifically when it came to the Green Revolution in Iran, mm -hmm. was criticized for not taking a stronger stand. Should the president of the United States be warning uh, Xi Jinping in the same way that he warns Xi Jinping about trade to not engage the uh, protesters in Hong Kong with the military, with the Chinese military? I think a lot of people would like to see that, and I, I would like to see stronger statements too. I think, unfortunately, and maybe you could say this about uh, Soviet Union in the 80s, but it really does not seem that Hong Kong will be democratic, and it certainly does not seem that Hong Kong will be independent. It really feels hard to imagine a scenario where Hong Kong people are voting and choosing their own chief executive. So perhaps this is Trump cannily playing the situation, perhaps this is just more of him tweeting off the cuff, but it, it doesn't feel like in the next five or ten years, we're going to see a Hong Kong that is what it wants to be. All right, Isaac Stonefish, thank you so much. Now that was from uh, CBS, CBSN, actually, uh, a network with uh, uh, liberal leanings. But I wanted you to hear what's going on. And then you heard at the end where he said, it doesn't look like uh, Hong Kong's going to go toward democracy. It's not like we saw in Eastern Europe. And it's uh, very unlikely, they say. But what's going to go on in Hong Kong? And why does it affect so many people in the world? It affects so many people because China is affecting so many people. They have over a billion people in population. And uh, Hong Kong is a city, but it's unique. And if you remember, some of you may know, some of you may not. You know, It was under British control under a 100-year or 99-year lease for uh till 2000 and uh excuse me till 1997 and in 1997 which has been uh over uh over uh 20 years ago and it was a transition toward that and some people didn't want it to transform but uh china assured certain uh, aspects that uh, the city would be treated differently from the mainland and the people of the united states has an agreement that the Hong Kong is treated differently from mainland mainland China. And even in this trade agreement that Trump is trying to work with the mainland, Hong Kong is uh, separate in so many ways of that because it's respected. It had been like a free city under British control for uh, decades. 
uh, like I said, uh, Britain had a 99-year lease on it to 1997. And so Hong Kong is still, and they, it was always had been a very entrepreneur, vibrant city. Lots of companies want to work there, want to be there, want to have a part of the business atmosphere. And that is what's made Hong Kong. And, it, and that's really what, went over and helped things get kicked off from mainland China when when they started having their reforms within the communist government. And when they took over in 1997, they assured Britain and assured the world that they would keep uh, certain freedoms that Hong Kong had traditionally had. <clears throat> so you heard in that report the protest and why they started about uh, being able to be extradited to uh uh, mainland, if you <clears throat> under crimes in Hong Kong, and that just all of a sudden gives mainland China so much more control. The protests are going on, but what is different? Well, it was 30 years ago, Tiananmen Square happened. I, I know uh, I, we had a 10 year class reunion. I'd been out for uh, 10 years, and now we're having a uh, 30-year class reunion, 40-year uh, class reunion, which is 30 years later, and now it's Hong Kong going to be like Tiananmen Square in, uh, in uh, 1989. Well, there's a lot of things to look at, and you remember then they built a Statue of Liberty, and a lot of students were gunned down. We don't know how many people actually died, and things were very, uh, the military put a into it so is that is that it's going to happen in hong kong will uh, will that happen in hong kong there's some things to look at and i want to go to a, a report uh, an article written by mark thason uh, and he has written some good things we've used it over time some of the different things he's written and i think he helps dissect the difference between tiananmen square in 1989 and 2019 and we're talking about this Hong Kong protest. There's some stark differences, has some big implications on the world economy. And and we're, the, the press is covering the protest. They're not really telling the people here in America how it can affect our lives and affect the world and what's going on. And it plays right into Trump and this a trade agreement. So we got a lot to get into, but first let me remind you, you're listening to Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics right here on webtalkradio.net, and we are glad to have you. we got new listeners coming in, and we appreciate you. I appreciate the people in New Zealand may be listening in to Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics after I talked to them, and like I told you, next week we'll be talking about what I found out in New Zealand and what the people in New Zealand think of President Trump. In America, so uh, I got a lot of uh, interviews, a lot of people from different parts of New Zealand, and uh, spent a couple of weeks there so that I could bring some news to our listeners. So that is what we'll be doing next week. So be sure to tune in to that special show because I don't know anybody else is doing that, but I wanted to uh, let you know some of the uh, what. Some people in other parts of the world, all the way, even south of Australia, I didn't realize it when I booked 
the uh, trip to New Zealand. It's the next thing to Antarctica, and it's winter time down there. But I survived, and I'll be telling you about that next week's show. But let's uh, one thing I need to remind you is that there are some books out there. If you're not aware, if you don't have a book called Bedrock Truth, we would love for you to get one, order one. Uh, you can go to the book cover right there on the front page of our web page on Web Talk Radio and just click on that button. It'll take you right to the website where you can order the book Bedrock Truth, written by me, Dr. Alveda King and Dr. Alex McFarland. Love for you to get that book. Love for you to check out the other books you can get there. And now... Let me tell you, we are about to uh, help dissect what's going on, why it's so important, what's going on in Hong Kong. Take a listen to this first. Here's something that caught my eye in our Hong Kong coverage yesterday. Protesters waving American flags. And as you heard at the top of the show, those protesters, some of them, those there, they were singing America's national anthem. Joining us now is Marion Smith with the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. The waving of flags, the singing of our anthem, what does that tell you? Well, I think the Hong Kong protesters are drawing a distinction uh, that is really at the core of this crisis. And that is there are two systems uh, here that are contradictory. Uh, One is the totalitarian system of the People's Republic of China, uh, where more than a billion people are under the thumb of the Chinese Communist Party and where there is no freedom and uh, where if you were to wave an American flag and sing our national anthem, uh, you would be detained uh, or worse. On the other hand is the United States and our flag and the freedoms that it represents, and Hong Kong people have enjoyed those freedoms for generations and have never been ruled by the Communist Party, and they're saying they don't want to be ruled by the Communist Party now, And, and that's the essence of the crisis here. What they want, what the demonstrators want, is the resignation of Carrie Lam, Hong Kong's chief executive, and her replacement to be freely elected with candidates not chosen by Beijing. That's what they want. That's why they're they're, uh, flying the American flag. You think, I mean, what are the odds that they actually get that? Well, they have a list of five or six demands. One is the resignation of the chief executive, Carrie Lam. Uh, The other is the withdrawal of the extradition uh, bill, which really was um, the catalyst for this uh, uh, protest movement this year in in which some 20 percent of the population of Hong Kong has taken to the streets. I'm now that was a clip from Fox News Business, the Stuart Varney show, and giving some interesting input. And did you hear about the American flags? We have protesters in China, well, in Hong Kong, protesting uh, the Chinese government's. Um, crackdown on, on the freedom they have in Hong Kong, and they're using American flags singing the American National Anthem. <laughs> Isn't that a twist in the news? Instead of somebody taking a knee and uh, and not loving America, you got Chinese waving American flag and singing the National Anthem saying, we want freedom like America. How about that? So, uh, one of the things that I told you I was going to talk to you what we see some insight, and one of the best articles I've seen to help explain it is from Mark Theason, and uh, he's a conservative writer. But he was saying that if we have a Tiananmen Square-type crackdown in a city, it could be very costly for Beijing. And 
He was saying that China is in a much weaker position in Hong Kong than many may realize. I did not realize this. I don't have to tell you that I've been studying China, but I haven't really understood the role that Hong Kong still plays in the economic well-being of China. And this is what Mark was saying in his article, that China is in a much weaker position in Hong Kong than many realize, but why? Why would that be so? He says, because it claims to be showing restraint, but the fact is that China could easily crush the protesters at a cost acceptable acceptable to Beijing. It would have done so by now. Uh, it said, you know, they would have rushed troops in the first thing, and they would have uh, cracked down on it if it could easily have been done. And if... Uh, they, they weren't sort of putting a rock in a hard place. And this is why he explains that the situation China faces, what Mark says in his article, the situation China faces in Hong Kong is very different from the one in Tiananmen Square three decades ago. He said at Tiananmen Square, the protesters were gathered in a large public square like sitting ducks where they could easily be mowed down. And they were mowed down, gunned down, run over by tanks. We brought them in and wiped them out quickly. He said in Hong Kong, the protest tactics have been adopted specifically to avoid another Tiananmen Square massacre. The protesters are, he put in quotations, like water flowing through a huge and crowded city. Demonstrations are organized on the fly via social media and take place in multiple locations simultaneously. See, you know, you think about, well, protesters, we're going to march it. But they're doing things in different parts of the city simultaneously. And he said, if China cracks down in one place, the protesters disperse and start again in a different location. So, moreover, the Hong Kong protests are leaderless. You remember... That was one of the strengths and yet one of the weaknesses of the um, uh, uh, of the Tea Party movement in America. There was there was not a leader and it was leaderless and it, it was very strong grassroots. But then it sort of fell apart when it had uh, pressure and the Obama administration and IRS came after him. But it says in Hong Kong, the protests are leaderless and there's. It's hard to be rounded up, and it's hard to break up the movement. So we can see something if a leader inspires people, and yet you lock up the leader, take the leaders away. So this is, is really amazing, the fact that it is it keeps going on and on, and how many are involved. We don't know. We don't know how many people are involved. China doesn't know how many people are involved. But it says if China arrests one group of leaders, others will simply rise up to take their places. And that's a strength of a movement, that people are willing to, to stand up. And he said in the Tiananmen Square, the clearing operation was conducted in the dark of night and out of sight of the media. And he said now in Hong Kong, if there is a Chinese intervention by the army, if they call in the military, it would take place in the full glare of international press corps and under the scrutiny of millions of cell phone cameras that would record every atrocity for the world to see and the operation could last for months or even years. It wouldn't because we said, see, it it's not one place. They're dispersed and where one demonstration is cracked down, it may open up somewhere else and so it's making it 
a very difficult task for a military to shut it down. If they do, it will be recorded, and the scenes will be played over and over, which did not happen at Tiananmen Square. That's 30 years ago. Think about the technology that has changed. Think about how protesters can uh, can communicate now in, in code. And he went on and told about that, that he said that the, the terrain in the city favors the defenders because it's an old city. It's got many winding narrow streets on on hills you know surrounded by water and it's it'd be hard for military to get around you can't get those large military vehicles into narrow streets and this is where the protesters know and are playing this to their advantage and he said if mark says in his article if the military move in it would face determined resistance and China wants to break popular support for the protest, but if there is determined resistance, it seems to grow. The crackdown could have the opposite effect. And that's another reason why the Chinese have not come in yet. And so this, this is making everything a lot more unstable. And, and Mark went on and said, think about the trouble the United States had, had rooting out the insurgents in, in Iraqi cities. You know, now, if if the locals were all on the protester side, could you ever stop the protest? And the one advantage China now enjoys compared with 30 years ago is the technology. And as we've mentioned some on this program, but I've read many parts about the, how the regime is constructed. This is on the mainland China, not Hong Kong, the mainland China. They have the surveillance, the state of uh, surveillance so that they got cameras everywhere but not only that they're using facial recognition technology to track its citizens and we know to get the social score when you do things the government tells you to you get a social score and you get privileges and you may have privileges taken away if you don't become a model citizen but they're keeping tabs on everybody now and he said that the extent to which Beijing has wired Hong Kong is unknown. So we don't know how much Beijing has come in. The mainland Chinese communist government, how have they come in to uh, know what's going on in Hong Kong? Nobody knows that. But the protesters can still use technology to their advantage because they can still have encrypted messages, you know, in, in certain apps. And this is... Uh, keeping the Chinese communist government from shutting down their means of communication. And that and if they shut down all communications, then it's gonna it's going to uh backlash of that, the the collateral damage of shutting down all communication is their financial sector. And it you know, without that free flow of information, Mark tells you that it's it's gonna hurt the whole entire china chinese economy and he finally said that intervention would mean the end of hong kong and that is something beijing can't afford because the mainland economy is slowing and might even be contracting first time in decades because of the china tariffs that trump is putting on them and he and he and mark went on to say in the article if president xi cracks down president xi if he cracks down, he will cause capital and talent to flee the city, which could kill the Golden Goose. Now, he goes on, and uh, he says, what should Trump do? He says he should warn uh, Xi 
that if he launches a crackdown in Hong Kong, the United States will repeal the Hong Kong Policy Act, under which we treat Hong Kong separately from China and give it better terms. See, he, we, you know, I didn't know that. Did you know that? That we already have the Hong Kong Policy Act that treat, treats Hong Kong separately from China. He says that treatment rests on the idea that Hong Kong is a distinct entity, but if Beijing moves in and occupies the city, ending its autonomy under the one country, two systems principle, then the rationale for treating Hong Kong better disappears. And uh, he did say that 1,400 businesses, United States businesses, operate in Hong Kong. Trump should also tell Xi that if he cracks down, the United States will welcome Hong Kongers as refugees. Now, here it is. Would the president, who's based his whole campaign on immigration, illegal immigration being stopped, would he open the doors to Hong Kong refugees? This is why Marx said it's very important, because precisely these refugees would be precisely the kind that Trump has said he wants to come into our country. They're creative, hardworking, entrepreneurial people. And if they came into our country, it would be investing in America and taking away skills out of China. And, I, and, and Hong Kong could come in mass. And I wanted to get this to you because, uh, and I'll get a link to this on, a, on our acknowledgement of, the, of this week's show, because this article helped me to better understand what's going on in Hong Kong and what is at risk and what Trump can do and what it means to the world. If Hong Kong was to implode, people say, well, it's going to hurt America and everything else, too. It would really hurt China. But what it would do, it could send refugees to America, immigrants, legal immigrants that Trump could open a door for. And we'd have a lot of the entrepreneurs that have thrived in Hong Kong. It would be foolish for China to try to go in and crack down. And this is a defining time in America and the world and what Donald Trump will do with the Hong Kong situation. So let's see what happens. But this is an important show to, that I wanted you to understand what's at stake, what's going on, and there's something's going to give one way or the other. These protesters are protesting for freedom. But it's not mainland China. It's Hong Kong, which they already have freedom. They don't want to be, they don't want communist overlords. And I hope Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren will see what's going on and where do they stand on this? Where do they stand? Let's watch everything, America. Let's see how Trump does. And let's see what Hong Kong does and how it affects not only Hong Kong and China, but the world, including the United States of America. Well, a little different show today. Next week, we'll be talking about New Zealand and what people think about Donald Trump's special, special show because uh, I dro didn't drive to New Zealand. I flew to New Zealand. It's way off from America, about 14 hours in the air. But I had a great time there finding out what the people of New Zealand think about Donald Trump. And so we'll be talking about that in next week's show. And also, I just uh, the finished the show. Uh, we had, uh, last month we had the governor nominees for the Re 
Republican uh, nomination, the candidates for the Republican nomination in the state of Mississippi. And it's come down now. Uh, they're having a runoff between Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves and the former Chief Justice of the Mississippi Supreme Court, Bill Waller, Jr. So that election will be coming up in the last week of August. And also we had uh, Jeremy Martin on talking about transportation needs. And there was a runoff in that race. He did not make the runoff. But it's very important for people around the country to know what's going on with infrastructure and roads. So I I think Jeremy had a good grasp of that. And I'm disappointed he didn't make it in a runoff. But I am glad that, like every candidate, and I've said that before, it's very important for good people to step forward and run for office wherever you are in this country. Because even though he didn't make the runoff, he will not win the office. But he helped help mold the debate and the knowledge he put in there is going to make whoever wins that a better person so wherever you are get involved study the issues and if you don't see somebody you like running consider jumping in there and running we need conservatives we need smart people we need new entrepreneurial blood we need people who can think with new technology and and think in conservative ways. So wherever you are, if there's a liberal looks like they're going to win 90% to 10%, challenge them. Get in there. Go for it. Some of these races, you don't know what will happen in 2020. So I'm telling you, right now, do not despair. Sometimes it takes a voice in the wilderness to cry out and cry out with truth and you may not win, but you will open up and encourage others to get involved. So as as the Chinese are risking their lives in Hong Kong for freedom, maybe you need to step forward. Men and women in the conservative circles need to step forward and be willing to run for office. Even in these places where uh, AOC and the where, with the squad... Get in there and run. Get your voice out there. Americans want authentic, authentic, uh, conservative candidates with character, and that may be you. Get in there and run. Run with all you got, and that's what's going to help change America. You got Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics right here on webtalkradio.net, and can't wait to next week's show. We'll be talking about New Zealand. See you then. God bless. Thanks for joining us today, and remember to listen again next week for another edition of Doc Holliday's Rock Splitting Politics. You can order Ed's new book, Bedrock Truths, by clicking on the book cover right in front of you on the screen, or visit DocHolliday.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week.